Hello and welcome to the HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm your host, Annabelle Collins, and I'm joined by Nick Harding and Lawrence Dunhill. Government chaos has left Boris Johnson's 40 new hospitals election pledge hanging in the balance. And this week we'll be talking about the impact this uncertainty is having on trusts who are desperate for for the funding to be confirmed. Also, we'll be taking a closer look at Liverpool hospitals, which is perhaps a warning of what could happen if the new hospital programme faces significant delays. But first, let's start talking about the programme more generally. Nick, you've been writing about this for a long time now. Um, It would be good to hear where is the programme at? Um, Do you know where the trusts, some of the particularly the Pathfinder Trust stand at the moment with their funding? Yes, they stand in limbo is the short answer. Um, So in terms of the programme overall, um, as you said in your intro, it's already been quite delayed this year. The most important thing the programme needs to do right now, uh, and, and in fact for the last few last few months, has been to try and get confirmation from the Treasury how much money is going to be available for um, the, the schemes in cohorts three and four, which is the majority of the schemes in the 14 new hospitals programme. So initially, the NHP uh, New Hospitals Programme team was expected to kind of get that confirmation from the Treasury sort of by summertime. Uh, Then it got pushed back to October. But of course, as you said, in the last few months, there's been uh, chaos at government level with change of prime ministers, change of health secretaries, the Queen dying. Um, it's all impacted on the uh, progress uh, of those conversations. And what it means now is that um, that sort of decision from the Treasury uh, on funding for the programme is not expected until December this year. So they've sort of pushed it to the very last month of the year now. Um, And that is when hopefully, from the trust point of view, they will get confirmation that their project is going to get X amount of funding. Now, we don't know, you know, a lot of these trusts, they their projects are costing a lot more than they were initially allocated. So, for example, to take one example, Torbay and South Devon Hospitals Trust, they were initially sort of allocated around 350 million, 400 million, and they drew up some plans, you know, along those lines. But that was a couple of years ago now, and they've now resubmitted plans, uh, and those plans are now set to cost sort of 500 million pounds. So it's an extra 100 million pounds, uh, and that's just one trust, and that's actually you know a trust which that 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 amount of that increase is actually not so big compared to certain other trust schemes. So if you take it across you know 25, 30 other trusts, there's going to be substantially more money sought than than was initially allocated back in 2019 when when the program was launched. So that's where we are at the moment in terms of the national program. The short answer is that all the trusts are waiting for for funding confirmation and the new hospitals program team is have faces a sort of tricky kind of meeting where they pitch to the treasury for how much money they think it's all going to cost that will happen in december and then there'll be a decision made uh it, that that month basically mm. when you were talking about the the rising costs is that partly due to inflation and sort of the cost of materials or that's right yeah inflation cost of materials um also um 
because these new hospitals are going to have uh, a requirement for more single patient rooms uh, mm. that pushes up the price as well um, but yeah a lot of it is is inflation and um, uh, materials cost particularly well both because of Brexit put prices up also you know labour costs as well so we're just getting enough uh, builders in uh, and also yeah the sort of the cost of uh, all these goods, um, you know, with the supply chain costs, which are going up across the world. So it's a combination of all those things. And I imagine this must be a very stressful time for the people within the trusts, um, you know, overseeing the, these new builds as some of them, I think, particularly the pathfinders, they've been waiting for this for such a long time. Yes, that's right. I mean, the path for listeners who may not be aware, I mean, there are a lot of terms, it's very confusing, but yeah, the pathfinder scheme is basically also known as cohort three um, but they were there's eight trusts in that cohort and they were of course when the program was announced in 2019 they were supposedly the first set of schemes that would be delivered so Matt Hancock you know proudly proclaimed in 2019 that we're launching this program and here are eight schemes that are ready to go and they will hopefully be built by um, 2024-25 you know not not long after the next general election then since then of course those schemes have been deprioritized in favor of cohorts one and two um, which you know are kind of small a mix of smaller schemes and schemes that were announced before the the, the program was even launched so one of the pathfinder trusts um, is Princess Alexandra Hospitals uh, in Essex uh, and we've done a story this week about you know just exactly how big an impact these delays are having on, on their estate um, and there were some figures published recently that showed that they had had a huge increase in the number of um, uh, clinical services that were disrupted by estates failures so it could be you know operations cancelled because of a leaky roof or uh, you know a theatre put out of action because of faulty wiring um, they they reported that the those those kind of uh, incidents had risen I think almost threefold from 175 the year before to more than 650 last year and that's just one example of the impact that you know the, the funding delays is having on trusts estates which then has a big impact on that trust's ability to, to deliver patient care so it's, it's a real problem particularly for those pathfinder schemes because they were you know they, they were chosen to be prioritized because their hospitals were deemed to be particularly with a bad estate, you know, so they needed the, the improvements urgently. But, it, you know, three three years on, it still hasn't happened. And there's still a long way off um, those new hospitals being built for that particular cohort. Absolutely. And with, I'm thinking, oh, sorry, Lawrence. Sorry, with, with the cohorts one and two, Nick, so the ones that are now the priority, do, do they have certainty over their funding? Yes, they do. So cohort one, that's eight trusts um, who are running build, building schemes, which as I said, were kind of announced and approved before the program launched. They've all been given funding uh, or certainly had funding earmarked. And then cohort two is uh, another eight kind of smaller schemes, which is typically more like uh, expanding an emergency department uh, or um, refurbishing a community hospital. They, those two cohorts are getting a chunk of the money which has already been kind of promised by the Treasury in the last spending review. So that was £3.7 billion. 
So that those that money will cover cohorts one and two, plus some of the national resource that is needed to like run, you know, the big procurement work on standardization. Um, and then um, and then also that 3.7 billion will also help these cohorts three and four trust with their initial planning planning costs, although there hasn't been that much money available for, for them. But yeah, so the cohorts one and two do have funding uh, secured and in some cases it's been unlocked already. Uh, I think cohort one, most of the trust there, the builders are on site working uh, and then cohorts two, one of the trusts has started work. The other seven, I think, are just going through the last kind of formal processes to before spades can get in the ground. But they should start construction, I think, early next year is the plan so far. But the, the real sort of headline projects from the 40 new hospitals program are now in the third, the third cohort, the Pathfinder one. Yeah, there's eight in the Pathfinders and then there's another, I think it's about 20 or so in the fourth cohort. And then, of course, there's another eight schemes in the fifth cohort that haven't yet been announced, but to which a lot of trusts have applied to be a part of. So um, uh, all the cohorts three, four and five should get the kind of funding uh, envelope hopefully by the end of this year if the NHP team can persuade the Treasury um, to to give them that money and that's not going to be an, an easy ask given the sort of financial pressures that we're seeing at the moment. Yeah it might be good to hear a bit more about that Nick. How do you think the NHSP, NHS, well NHP team are hoping to persuade the Treasury that they do need this vast amount of money. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, it's, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how it pans out, because on the one hand, it feels like, you know, they have to get this money approved because it would be probably political suicide for the government if they don't, you know, if they are seen to abandon the 14 new hospitals pledge. I think that would kind of be almost a final nail in the coffin for the Tories. Um, I do think that because there's been so much noise about it before. So on the one hand, it's like, they should be quite confident that they will get the money because, you know, the political connotations otherwise are just too, too unpalatable. But of course, yeah, it's a question about how much money they're going to get. Um, and of course, as we say, there's a big financial crisis at the moment. So how are they going to persuade the Treasury? Well, what they have to do is they will go to a meeting um, of a committee called the Major Projects Review Group, which comprises Treasury and I think Cabinet Office officials. That's where they will kind of make their pitch to say, OK, this is how much money we think we're going to need to deliver this whole programme. Then they have to justify that amount of money. And one of the ways that they hope to do this is to highlight five schemes in the uh, of the 40 in the program which each represent a uh, kind of good opportunity to standardize and um, kind of uh, to standardize that aspect of the build so for example one of the schemes which has been selected as like a bit of a to, to kind of um, shine the light on is West Suffolk Hospitals scheme that's the Greenfield building scheme and it involves um, quite a lot of demolition of a, an old building to make way for the new hospital that you know there will be other schemes like that but NHP believe that the West Suffolk uh, example is a good example of how you can kind of standardize that aspect of building a new hospital and so they've selected five projects which each bring a different kind of uh, sort of construction feature to the table and said this is how 
we can standardize if we've kind of followed this model. And so they hope that by picking out those five schemes, we don't know who the others are, we only know West Suffolk so far, then they can say to Treasury, look, here's how we plan to standardize. This is the kind of the best of all the 40 schemes for that particular type of standardization. And that's why we think we can do it in this funding envelope rather than uh, you know, letting every trust do what they want. And then that funding envelope suddenly becomes a lot bigger because trusts are asking for a lot of money. Uh, and then I think they'll hope to justify the money that way by saying, you know, here we've kind of picked the best out of the best schemes. We're going to standardize it based on those individual schemes. And then hopefully that will provide enough kind of value for money without making that total funding pot um, request too big for the Treasury to swallow. I think that's going to be quite an important part of the um, negotiating pro process. So it's interesting that they've chosen, like I say, West Suffolk and, and four other schemes as well um, to try and um, kind of boost their, uh, their negotiating hand. So that, that's one one way that they will try and persuade the Treasury. It's, it sort of sits slightly awkwardly, this um, the, the sort of the nationalised element of this programme with the with the push to integrated care systems and the thinking about place and NHS trusts as anchor institutions, because with more, more sort of local government involvement in NHS planning and strategy that, that, that they really don't want just a sort of IKEA type um, flat pack hospital dumped on them, do they? That they want to be involved in the design and make something that they feel is sort of suitable for their town. Um, and 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 that that really that really is going to clash, isn't it, with the yeah with, with the with the treasury desire to want to standardise and get the costs down. Absolutely, I think. I mean, already I think there are some tensions at some of the trusts um, about this. And you know, you've got, for example, again, just to go back to one example, Tor Bay. They had initially planned to use some of their new hospitals program funding to buy a new electronic patient record. You know, to get to sort of start that digital transformation work sooner um, because they knew that they wouldn't get the money for the actual hospital build until after 2025. But they were hoping to get some of the money earlier so they could start the digital transformation work ahead of that because digital is going to be a really important part. But, you know, and that, and that had a lot of support locally um, from, you know, both within the trust and from neighbour trusts and the ICSs as well. So Devon ICB even wrote a letter of support. Uh, I think to NHP kind of say this is needed, but NHP, you know, nationally, they just rebuffed that and they said, no, we're not going to let you get a new EPR using this money. This money is for, you know, a new hospital. Um, and yes, that will include digital foundations, but they've got to be our digital foundations, not necessarily an EPR that you want to choose locally. So that's, yeah, an example of the tensions. And, and you're absolutely right. There's going to be conflict i think between the kind of push to you know have these decisions made at place level and involve all the local stakeholders but actually the treasury will have a very large say in how these hospitals are going to look and they won't take too much local need into account i suspect do you think there's a worry that this will this will cause problems in the years to come if a, if a trust is you know they're, they're able to build something but it's not quite what they need and it has a disastrous impact on, I don't know, flow or staffing or whatever it is. It's just not right for them. Are people worried about that, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Certainly, um, I think trusts do, at the moment, they're so desperate to know what they've got to work with that they would almost, for now, sort of accept 
less than perhaps they've been promised because they just really want that certainty because they're you know they're spending a lot of money propping up such bad estate that's poorly spent money ultimately because it's you know it's there's no strategy to it and it's expensive to do that so yeah there is a real worry that trusts do have to um will have less money to spend and of course that means you only kind of do a job half done really and it might not necessarily solve the problems that you want to do and you know i know there are you look at the new royal in liverpool royal hospital in liverpool uh, which i think lawrence is going to come on to which mm-hmm. kind of shows some of the problems there because that hospital isn't isn't big enough by the sounds of it so there, there are going to be concerns locally absolutely about how much less money they will be given and what what they can actually do with that and how that's not going to be able to be enough to, to sort of resolve the the pressures that those trusts are under. We will come on to Liverpool in, in just a minute but Nick I just wanted to just ask your thoughts about Jeremy Hunt. He he is obviously incredibly uh, he's a key figure in, in all of these decisions <laughs> being made at the moment. Um, I've, I've been interested to hear your, your thoughts on I don't know kind of whether he might be maybe more sympathetic to the needs of these hospitals having also been health secretary yeah it's it's a good question and of someone did point out in our story about princess alexandra that one of the reasons of course the nhs estate is in such bad uh bad condition is partly because in you know in the middle of the last decade there was this strong trend every year of capital being diverted to prop up revenue spending um you know during austerity the nhs really struggled financially and so they needed more revenue funding just to prop up the day-to-day services that came at the capital budget's expense which meant that the estate became worse quicker uh, and of course, that did happen while Jeremy Hunt was health secretary, uh, largely, and now he's chancellor, and now he's facing the, some, you know, the bill of 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 that. Of course, you know, it's not solely the reason why the estate is so bad. You know, the estate has been underinvested in for for, for decades, not just the last decade. Mm. But it is a bit ironic that he's now as chancellor going to have to face up with some big figures to fix this estate which you know perhaps had the capital budget you know repeatedly not been um been raided in the last decade perhaps it wouldn't be quite so bad um so yeah i suppose he's you know very well placed to he understands the problems very well because he was the longest serving health secretary. He knows the importance of a state. But then, yeah, as health secretary, um, I don't remember him do, speaking that much about the estate or taking that much of an interest in, you know, the importance of the estate. So no. it will be very interesting to see if he kind of grasps that nettle this time. But I'll go back to that point about they can't be seen to abandon this this programme because for the Tories, I think it would be political suicide and, and Jeremy Hunt will undoubtedly know that and um yeah i just think it's i think that is going to tie his hands to some extent and he'll have to provide a certain amount of money whether it's enough is another question yeah it really would be the u-turn to top all of the u-turns wouldn't it yeah um, absolutely um, thanks nick and we, we've hinted quite a lot about liverpool um and um lawrence so it, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting case and is it is it fair do you think that it's kind of a foreshadow of what could happen if these buildings aren't aren't done right, as we've sort of discussed a bit already, 
Yeah, I suppose so. It it, it kind of um, it's it's a warning that if you if the planning of the hospital is is done and then the, the the hospital isn't actually built for a very long time afterwards, the situation may well have changed and the priorities may well have changed. And the 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 new Royal Liverpool is interesting because it was planned and designed more than ten years ago, um, and they it it really wasn't designed for the sort of crisis that the NHS faces at the moment um it it has fewer beds than the old royal about 40 fewer um did because the idea when it was designed was that more patients would be more care would be done in the community and you prevent more admissions which obviously hasn't happened um and in the weeks following up to the uh, building up to the move to the new hospital um the, the the old one was regularly full to capacity and sort of issuing alerts about that um it, it, i suppose the thing is it, it it is actually one of the it is actually part of the 40 new hospitals program even though even though it was sort of pretty much already built before the program started but they they, they put it on there um because it did get it did get some of the funding to finish off the to finish off the project but they kind of they got in there in the good old days when pfi was still available and so um, really did get the kind of design that they that they thought they wanted at that time, and it's a real sort of state of the art, lovely building, um, and perhaps not not the sort of built IKEA type hospital you're going to get under the new NHP program now. Um, but yeah, it's sort of going back to the issues at the moment, it it does have. Um, it, it clearly was designed in a, in a different time because it, it also has 100% single rooms as opposed to bay type wards, which arguably is is going to be good and good for patient dignity and the, the experience. Um, if you've got a, a fully staffed hospital that isn't in crisis, um, they, they have tr they have tried to recruit lots of healthcare assistants to kind of in increase the staff available to do observations, but they've still got quite a way to go on that. Um, and it, it also makes it difficult if you if you've got problems in your emergency department with ambulance handovers and you want to put, send extra patients up to the wards, the sort of old one over policy, as it was called, or now now everyone seems to call it the North Bristol model. Um, that's kind of difficult to do if you've got a hospital of, full of single rooms. Do, do you suddenly put them in a in a room with some poor patient who thought they were going to be on their own? Um, there's, and then there's also an issue with the new emergency department, it, it, it appears, but there seems to be less capacity and corridor space in it. And they're, they're telling ambulance crews, they've been telling them in the last week or two that they'll take 10 patients that can be cohorted in the corridor, but no more. Um, and the old hospital used to take more than that. Um, and that means the patients are, are left waiting in the back of the ambulance, which means um, ambulances aren't available to respond to new emergencies and that has that has created some kind of nasty sounding clashes between ambulance crews and the ED staff this week as I understand it then that there's going to have to be resolved somehow um, and so yeah it's, it's it's not there's a lot of sort of celebration in Liverpool that this hospital has finally been opened after years of delay but there are some issues that really need to be looked at it's very what? depressing, isn't it? Sorry, Annabelle, just uh, the fact this was this really was supposed to be a flagship NHS hospital. And of course, it was 
severely damaged by the Carillion falling over, um, who, who are the builders. But it's very depressing that all these problems are happening straight away um, for what was supposed to be a real kind of flagship new hospital. Um, and the issue with the single patient rooms is interesting, that the fact that it's 100% coverage um, because the new hospitals program team is looking at whether or not there should be a requirement for all hospitals in this program to have 100% single patient rooms. Um, currently, the sort of requirement is for, for new builds is 50%. But as you said, there are quite strong arguments to increase that, but it doesn't come without problems, doesn't it? The 100% mm -hmm. rule. So uh, my feeling is that they might up it to something like 75%, but to go for 100% seems almost a little bit risky given some of the problems you've you've set out. And that's obviously a part of why this hospital is ultimately sounds like it's too small. Mm. It, I mean, it does sound risky. To, to, be, to be fair to them, you know, it's only been it's only been a few weeks that they've moved in so that there, there were always probably going to be some kind of teething problems and things to sort out um and they are saying that they're, they're going to create more capacity at some of their other sites um but yeah it, it, it certainly when they were designing this hospital they they were not imagining an nhs that we that we have at the moment that 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 is clear um and so it, it, it that is something that they need to think really carefully about when they're when they're building these new these new sites. Just thinking, Lawrence, relationships seem sound pretty frayed in Liverpool at the moment between some of the different teams. I just wonder what what's being done to try and repair things and try and smooth smooth things over. Yeah, it's 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 really depressing sounding actually that you've uh, apparently I'm I'm told there've been sort of rows between paramedics and ED staff sort of going on in front of patients and stuff mm. like really heartbreaking scenes that you you just wouldn't want to happen um and you know the the ambulance trusts are understandably making the case that yes we know it's not ideal that you that you have to take these extra patients and no they they might not be you might not be able to kind of uphold the patient safety that you need to but that is the least bad option here because if if all if all our vehicles are queued outside they cannot respond to a patient who's um had a heart attack or something in the community um and literally leave them with nothing like that is the greater risk um and and so i think i think some kind of talks will be will probably be held at a senior level um mm. during during the rest of this week which will hopefully sort this out because the the, the the emergency department at, at the Royal Liverpool seem to have just made made these decisions unilaterally without consulting with NWAS. Um and I'm I'm still trying to sort of get to the bottom of where those discussions are at and where it's going to land. What's their relationship like with NWAS? Because I know some trusts, particularly some of the trusts I cover in the Midlands, have really quite poor relationships with the local ambulance trust, and I know that can be absolutely crucial. Um, you know. Yeah, and that's that's the that's the interesting thing actually is that that they should uh, traditionally they haven't been one of the problem trusts in the northwest. Mm. Um, the some of the hospitals in Greater Manchester have traditionally had much much worse problems with ambulance handovers, um, but it's it, so it seems to be this move uh, to the Royal which has disrupted things and changed the situation and. Um, meant a new protocol has come in. They, they've also had problems at Aintree, um, the other hospital in Liverpool, uh, last month. Um, 
and which is perhaps connected to the role because they haven't been able to divert um, ambulances to the to the role when they were busy. Um, and there's, I'm told there's also some issues in with uh, social and community care up in North Liverpool, uh, which again I'm still trying to get to the bottom of. But yeah, it's re it, it, it's not nice to hear these stories, and it's it it, it just it does just seem like emergency services are really fraying at the moment. Absolutely. Um, I think on that note, it's a good time to to wrap up the podcast this week. Thank you both so much for joining. And just a reminder to listeners, the HSJ Health Check podcast is available every week on hsj.co.uk and across all main podcast channels. And please don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.